Blog Talk Radio. Radio program. I'm Susan, Laris, and Dan, and it's been quite a week of shows every day, but um, it's been so nice to have you all here, I guess every day since Tuesday, which is kind of unusual, and I think we're going to find that we're wrapping up the week today, and just for those listening across time, this is October 28th, 2016. Um, We are Wrapping up this week with what I feel is going to be a very powerful, interesting conversation that I'm actually going to take a much different approach to. In fact, as as a part of this intro, how this book is impacting me is so profoundly, uh, it's making me reflect upon a lot of different things. And I'll tell you guys out there listening, whenever I bring a guest on the show, right before I bring them on the show, I always say to them, well, I'm going to mute you right now while we do the introduction. Now, I'll tell you that part of the reason behind that is because I like to kind of mute myself, too, because of the music. But today, I just got this feeling of, you know, that I don't know that I want to exert that kind of, of control today in this forum. And so I'm going to do something totally different And I'm going to bring our guest on right now. And rather than my give an introduction, I'm going to give him the opportunity to introduce himself. And so I'm consciously um, taking the mute button off, and I am bringing, I can tell you who I'm bringing on, Stephen Beyer on the line. Welcome, Stephen. Well, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. And I, I, I just heard that you have a surprise for me. That <laughs> I'm supposed to introduce myself. Yes, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and your book because I feel that you can do that in the most wonderful way for us. Um, boy, I'm kind of on the spot here. Oh, uh, well, my, name is, my name is Steve Beyer, and uh, I have written a book called... Um, Talking Stick, Peacemaking as a Spiritual Path. Um, I have uh, I have been studying shamanism and spirituality for a very long time. Uh, I have written four, five other books that have been published on various aspects of, of Buddhism and shamanism and spirituality. Um, but those were all 
scholarly books. Those were all books where I was trying to to understand what was going on and to convey to an audience what my understanding was. This book is entirely different. This book is a passion. This book is a call to action. This book is about the ways in which we can communicate with each other and use communication to deepen human relationships simply by listening devoutly with our hearts and speaking honestly from our hearts. And, and the model I use for this communication is the, what is called a talking circle or a peace circle. Sometimes it's called council. There are lots of names for it. But the, the principle is always the same. A stick is passed around, a talking stick, like in the title of the book, and whoever holds the stick gets to speak, and everybody else listens. And that's it. And it's miraculous, because hearts open up, relationships deepen, and, and real, primally human interaction takes place. And the book is an exploration of that basic principle of listening devoutly with the heart and speaking honestly from the heart and expands the lessons of the circle into areas of harms and forgiveness and revenge and apologizing and eventually into our whole relationship with nature by handing your talking stick to a tree or a stone or a star and listening devoutly with your heart to what they have to say. Wow. I, I, I think you just demonstrated something that is in your book, Steve, is... It's just how spontaneously, and, and by the way, I didn't intend to put you on the spot like that. I kind of handed <laughs> okay. you the stick really fast. It, it, it <laughs> worked out. <laughs> but my goodness, and the reason, I, I, I will tell the audience, the reason I did this is because he really got me thinking today, Steve, and, and I'll, I'll tell the, the audience, honestly, I was spending time with this book right before the show, and something this book talks about is is being more spontaneous and and really listening and i'm not even sure i got the listening part right because you talk about that steve how so often and this is so true being a radio host even a grassroots informal untrained radio host like me that's just been doing this for a while um is is the listening part is that you know we have a tendency to prepare like what are we going to say or not wanting to look you know unintelligent or not wanting to to seem like maybe we we have good questions i'd I'd like other blog talk radio hosts to listen to this too because i know or anyone out there this isn't just about radio but it's about conversation and then also um, not being too long-winded laughing at myself because i'm watching this it's very unstructured because there's just a lot in this book about how we can interact with one another and and I am I am integrating it as best I can as we talk. 
I think I think there may be a problem with our telephone line. Can you hear oh, really? me? Yes. Yeah, I was were you, you were you see. silent? I'm sorry. Were you silent? I, I went thought maybe silent. I was. Oh my I goodness! I thought there was something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, audience. I need All right. To no, me. that was that there was just is, a good human there silence. Is All a right. Point. Well, it got a little long. I was going to say something in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking, hmm, how long is this supposed to be? I, I'm kind of stepping into this in a very unusual way. In the book, you talk about how, and, and we're not doing this. We should be formalizing it a little bit and saying, if I stop speaking, I'm going to just give you space and you can speak. Because something you talk about, Steve, is the silence in between when you're interacting spontaneously. But what I didn't do for you is give you a clue that I'm just going to let you speak in response, that, you know, when I stop, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Um, and and so, anyway, that that was a little bit of an awkward silence. But, but yes, I'm, I'm <laughs> I, still I, here. On, on two occasions, Answered. I was a, a DJ on radio, once when uh-huh. I was in college and once when I was in law school. And I was a, a DJ um, in college on the college radio station. And when I was in law school, I was uh, a DJ on the community-sponsored radio station in Madison, Wisconsin. And the one thing that was constantly drilled into me was that dead air is bad. Exactly. I I I I know, and that's why I was only going to let it. I I probably let it go a little bit too long. But again, <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. It's just natural. This is this is grassroots radio. So there are no rules here. I'm not following all right. the rules at all. This is very atypical for my interviews. I'm I'm totally undermining all of my rules today. Um, I, I will in, tell you one story this. from from my days as a Please. college DJ. <laughs> I had a folk music station, and this was back in the early 1960s. Um, that will give you a clue how old I am. I was in college <laughs> in the early 60s. And I had a folk music show on the college radio station, and I received an album from a guy I had never heard of called Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't his famous first album, the one picture of him and this woman walking down the street. This was the earlier album that nobody talks about. It was it was a picture of him in one of these sort of Greek fisherman hats holding a guitar. And he was singing other people's songs. The, this uh-huh. was before he, he had started singing his own songs. This was all other people's songs. And I played a couple of cuts from it. And I said, you know... I don't think this guy is ever going to go anyplace. <laughs> and, yes, and he I just won a Nobel Prize. So I do uh-huh. not do not trust my music judgment. Well, there are those who claim that he's not a particularly good singer, but he's an amazing poet. He is that. <laughs> and, and, and instrumentalist. But um, So if he was singing other people's songs, maybe he wasn't quite... In his passion yet. Now, see, this predates me, although I certainly hadn't aware. I grew up in the 70s. Um, uh-huh. and, well, the 60s, I was very young, um, very, very young. <laughs> but I would have an awareness of, of, of that in the 70s. So, um, but, um, you know, again, entering in, 
into this. I, I'll I'll put a little more of a, a formal interview into this, just because um, it, we're so used to that. You're right about the dead air, and and I was thinking to myself, you know, um, we we didn't really structure it. We probably could have structured it ahead of time, and then you would have known what was going on. But this notion of silence. Let's talk about that. Um, sure. When we're having a discussion, and you're right, it's very counterintuitive for radio. Absolutely, uh, we typically have very little dead air, even on informal radio like this. Um, but when we're, um, and we'll back into some of this, when we're in a circle, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to explain, you know, what is the sacred space that we can set up to talk in, and 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 what is the role of spontaneity and silence and and how we interact with one another well i think um one of the one of the things that happens when you're sitting in circle is you see the talking stick coming around and it's coming towards you and it's coming towards you and it's getting closer and what are you doing you are thinking about what you're going to say you yeah. are thinking about, you're rehearsing, you're planning, you're making mental lists of all the really good points that you need to make to make sure that, you yeah. know, George gets straightened out because what he said was absolutely wrong. And you want to look good and you get a turn of phrase in your mind and you just concentrate on keeping that so you don't forget it. And all the time you're doing that, what are you not doing? You're not listening. So one of the functions of spontaneity is to encourage you not to plan ahead, not to think about what you're going to say, but listen. Listen devoutly with your whole body. Because what we're listening for is the voice of spirit coming through someone else. And so you have to listen devoutly with your heart. Because if somebody else is speaking with his or her heart, you only have one organ that can hear that, and that's your heart. Not your intellectual discrimination, not your moral judgment, not your, your way you would handle the situation. That's not how you listen. You listen to a heart with your heart. And so... One of the things you learn when you sit in circle after a while is that the voice of spirit may speak through you if you'll only get out of the way. And it's important to know, too, that spontaneous silence can contribute as much to the dynamic of what's going on as anything you might say, because silence communicates and you have to learn to listen to the silence exactly the same way that you would listen to somebody speaking because that is a silence from the heart. That is spirit speaking silently in the circle. Something I tend to feel that occurs a lot when we are preparing what we're going to say while someone is speaking like you just did is we don't give ourselves a chance to 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 listen and assimilate and and 
we don't have to rush to speak, I guess. And and I think that one of the things you say in your book, Steve, is is for example in counsel, you know, if you're having this discussion and maybe we can define what that is in a moment. Um it's oh you don't have to be all in a rush. <laughs> it's like just 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 let it flow. And to me, sometimes we're in such a rush to respond that we don't just breathe in between and, and, and let it let it resonate, let it settle whatever we just heard. And and I that's think, I think, that's a yeah, huge I think, thing. I think that's exactly mm-hmm. right. Um I say in the book that there are three things that make counsel special yeah. as, as a way of meeting together and making decisions and dealing with conflicts and building community. And they are that you sit in a circle and you begin and end with a little ceremony, even a tiny ceremony, and you use a talking stick. And I think sitting in a circle creates a sacred space within which people can speak honestly from their hearts and listen devoutly with their hearts. Um, Because everybody can see each other. Everybody accepts responsibility for their own words. Um, Everybody can look at each other. And there are agreements we make that are different from what happens out there. Out there, people interrupt each other. Out there, people are rude to each other. But in here, in the sacred space of the circle, we listen devoutly to each other with our hearts. And in the same way, when you begin with a ceremony, burning sage, lighting a candle, reciting a poem, whatever it may be, you are creating a kind of sacred time. And this gets us back to exactly what you were saying, because in sacred time, there is nothing you need to accomplish. You have no agenda. There is no contract you have to draw up. There is no conclusion you have to reach. You are sitting together in sacred time, speaking honestly from your hearts to each other, listening devoutly with your hearts to each other, with nowhere to go except to deepen your relationships with each other. And when that happens, the kinds of problems that you have brought into the circle miraculously can find solutions or simply dissolve in the deeper relationships that are formed inside this circle. Yes. You know, um, this may seem, well, there's no no judgment here. You know, that's that's so important. If only we could, yeah, I was going to say, this may seem to be a, a non-sequitur thing to say. There, there's, not, there's no such thing. <laughs> as, I, I, as you were talking, although I was trying to, to listen, because it is an art, and you talk about that, that it takes practice to really listen. I got to thinking about the music at the beginning of this show. I have to tell you, and we won't talk just about this show. I really want to talk about conflict in a minute. But the thing is, is I have an exceptionally long musical piece that someone gave to me for the beginning of this show. And many times people have advised, 
oh, no, you should start up right away with, you know, whatever you should be saying, should, should, you know, this is what you should do. And yet somehow I just know that I need that music at the beginning and that we need that. And what if what that is doing is quieting us all down, including the host, me, (laughs) and setting a kind of a sacred space? And then, of course, at the end, it ends with an even longer segment of music. And can ceremony, this is my thought and question, come to us in different ways like that, just just spontaneously, that that happens to be part of the ceremony of setting up this sacred space that I didn't even know was here? Um, Any time people meet together, with the intention of listening devoutly from their heart and speaking honestly with their heart, you are at that moment in sacred time. Mm. It is the the intention that creates the sacred space and the sacred time. And it's it's often nice to have a a ceremony, especially if, for example, in a classroom or or a business or an institution or a family that meets together regularly, you come up with a, um, a ceremony that suits you. Yeah. Um, although, you know, my, um, my wife is, is a Montessori teacher, and she uses counsel in her classroom all the time. And she was very pleased once. She had split the classroom up into groups of four to work on a project together. And this was in middle school. And there was one group that was having a lot of trouble getting together to work on this this project. And, and one of them said, you know, we're not getting anywhere. Let's go get the talking stick. And that was a little ceremony right there. Let's circle up on this. And meet together with the intention of speaking honestly and listening devoutly. So it doesn't have to be elaborate, but there are all kinds of ways you can create a ceremony. Um, For example, people can bring in objects that are important to them and put them in the center of the circle. People can bring in poems that they love and read the poems. Um, or there can be one poem they select that they all recite together each time, or they all light a candle, or whatever works for them. But the important point is that they know they are entering into a sacred space and a sacred time, and that even that the circle may go someplace they absolutely do not expect. Because there is a wisdom in a circle. Because the spirits will lead the circle where the circle needs to go at that moment, even if it's a direction that the participants themselves don't realize yet. That's one of the powers of the circle, is it goes where it needs to go, not where you think it ought to go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Entering into this time that I spent with your book today, Steve, I mean, the, there's all kinds of news today about, I mean, there's just so much heartache in the world right now and conflict. I mean, I heard all these discordant things and I felt um, 
you know, there, there's just so many feelings that many of us are having during this election, no matter where we're at with it. And this show has a diverse audience. It does. So many people are going to be at different places with this. And something that I immediately felt entering into the space of your book is just how we have we are conditioned to think about situations in in ways that are not helping us in terms of relationship and you know it's all about being right or about coming up with who did wrong and how and punishing and you know accusing and 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 none of this is helping us none of the you know and and this is a complex question, I suppose, but I'm just going to hand you the talking stick, I suppose, into how how can we use what you're teaching us to help us right now to, to build community? Even within the liberal groups, there's a lot of division. You know, it doesn't. There's a lot of discord, and 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 how can we find our way back to that space where we want to be? Let's take an example. Um, we have seen a lot of conflict between, say, um, police departments and the communities that they are supposed to be serving. And wouldn't it be wonderful if, as a regular matter, police, and I don't mean police chiefs and police lieutenants, I mean the cops on the street met as a regular matter every week with whoever wanted to come from the community and sit in circle with them and pass the talking stick and speak to each other honestly from their hearts and listen to each other devoutly with their hearts. And, you know, there may be issues that will not be resolved. I think there, there are problems inherent in in the police function in a community. There will always be conflicts and differences of opinion. But you know from your own experience that you can have a conflict or a difference of opinion with somebody whom you respect, with somebody you listen to, with somebody you speak honestly to. Because what's important is never being right. What's important is the relationship. I tell a joke when I, when I have workshops and seminars. I often tell a joke and I say, I have been married for just a bit short of 50 years. And I am going to tell you now the secret to a long-term intimate relationship with another person. Are you interested they all say, yeah, yeah, tell us the yeah. secret. And I say, <laughs> when you're right, apologize. It takes a while for people to catch the joke, but the idea is exactly the same. Because what's important is not being right. What's important is the relationship. And that's exactly how you approach your relationships inside a circle. You're not there to be right. You're not there to set other people straight. You're not there to show that you are morally superior or wiser or 
better than anybody else. You're not there to be right. You are there to listen devoutly with your heart. And what happens when, when this takes hold of a circle, of a council, is that these conflicts become unimportant in the, in the deepening of the human relationships that are taking place inside the circle. Yes. You know, I feel called to respond with a story, and I know you talk about that in your in your book a lot that we we often do. And I've got to tell you as quickly as I can, although there's no few trust, a story of the police in my community. And I have to tell you, I'm not a big fan of authoritarian, punitive type structures either. And that's something that's in your book. I feel we need to evolve to something better, not a blame-based culture. And perhaps in a minute we can talk about that more because it's very important and it resonated with me in your book. But something magical happens in our community. And even though we all have that fear where, you know, you see a police officer driving around and you're worried, you know, was I speeding or whatever, and you hope you weren't, you know, there's even that simple authoritarian thing that occurs. In our community we have a festival a big festival, two of them actually, and we're very involved in this festival. And it involves the police, and so they will come to our meetings, and you know, they you get to know them, <laughs> and they're you, you talk, and and you get to see so many different aspects. Like like um, you know, I've had responsibility at the festival and wanting people to be safe, but at the same time, I don't, you know, I want there to be a balance. I don't want you know, we've had situations where you have to, you don't, you want to balance it out. You don't want authoritarian type structure, but still safety, some kind of. So, so anyway, with to make, I, I, without getting into that, there is something magical, Steve, that has occurred in terms of involving just these interactions that we have, while at the same time there's something discordant right now in our society that I am acknowledging too that makes me very uncomfortable. I feel that our whole society is structured incorrectly and a lot of it has to do with fear, which is why I have this show. Um it's one of the reasons is, you know, getting beyond how the fears are driving us. So so that's my little bit of story and and I'll give you the opportunity to respond. Well that's a wonderful story and I think it illustrates exactly what we're we're talking about. Um, as human relationships deepen, fear disappears. Yes. Because I have a, I again a story that I that I like is one that I tell in in Talking Stick, and it's uh, it's from the Talmud, and it's about a a rabbi named Baruka, and I don't think he appears any place else in the whole Talmud. Um, but in any event, apparently this rabbi liked going into the marketplace and, and watching people. And one day he was sitting, standing in the marketplace, and who should he see but the prophet Elijah? So he goes up to the prophet Elijah and he says, of all these people who are gathered in this marketplace, who has a share 
in the life to come. And Elijah said, nobody. And at that point, two people came into the marketplace, and as he liked to do, Baruka walked up to them and said, who are you? What do you do? And the two men said, we are clowns. When people are sad, we cheer them up. And when people are in conflict, we help them reconcile. And the prophet Elijah said, those two have a share in the life to come. So the question I ask is, are you willing to be a clown for peace? Are you willing to give up dignity? Are you willing to give up ego? Are you willing to give up being morally superior? Are you willing to give up being right and just listening with your heart and speaking from your heart? And you know what happens is that when you do that, and we can't all do that all the time. We are human. We are fallible. We are broken in so many ways. We all so often fall short of our own best selves. But the goal is this. If you're able to do this, if you're able to give up hierarchy, if you're able to give up being punitive, if you're able to give up trying to blame people, if you're willing to give up being right, then fear will vanish. Because what can they take away from you? What are we afraid of? We're afraid of losing our dignity. We're afraid of being humiliated. We're afraid of the fierce light of scrutiny shining on us, and yet if we give that away, nobody can take it from us anymore because we've given it away, and fear vanishes. Yeah. You know, something that I feel so strongly about with how we're driven by our fears is how there is this culture of somebody has to pay um, when when there's a harm done, and I know you spend time exploring this, and and it can get truthfully to me, and I've evaluated this so many times to to the insane levels where people are actually impaired, for example, and something happens, and yet they're responsible anyway. You know, you hear how there are a lot of impaired people in one way or another and even if you're not impaired but I mean it's just it's so strong is that urge that somebody has to pay for for something there's not even an evaluation of if they even knew you know anything about what was going on and then even if they did know what was going on this whole culture what is it it how can we get beyond this because it it's it feels to me if i speak honestly it's insanity it is an insane society in a way to to be continually blaming and seeking vengeance and you know it leads to endless war when you do that and that's in your book too and it's something that i think many of us have reflected upon is that you give us a path to something else if, I mean, you don't have to look far 
in today's world to see how cycles of violence operate. Yeah. Um, and we see the ways in which, over generations, people demonize and dehumanize each other so that they can carry on these endless conflicts. And one of the things we have to think about is ways in which we can break these cycles of of conflict. Um, And sitting in circle and listening devoutly with your heart to the pain of the other and speaking honestly from your heart in the circle about your own pain is a way of meeting together in the center of the circle and deepening a human relationship and trying to figure out together how to meet this mutually unmet need for peace. Because the way in which you make peace is to work together. Here's a little exercise I I have done in my workshops and seminars. Um, I split the, the group into pairs, and I say, all right, you are the, 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 the game we're going to play is that, that you are co-workers and you've just had a long, hard week and what you really want to do on a Friday night is to go out to dinner together and relax. But I say there is a conflict because the first person in each pair wants Mexican food, has been dreaming about Mexican food all week. The second one in each pair had Mexican food for lunch and doesn't want Mexican food, wants Thai food. And I tell them, you have three minutes to solve this conflict. And they do. They come up with wonderful ideas. They they come up with the idea of going to a food court so that each can get the kind of food that he or she wants. They come up with the idea of going to a, um, a Mexican restaurant for appetizers and margaritas and then going to a Thai restaurant. They come up with the idea of going to a third kind of restaurant, Ethiopian food, something neither of them has ever had before. They come up with the idea of buying ingredients and cooking their own food such as enchiladas with peanut sauce. And do you know why they come up with these wonderful ideas? Because they are able to reframe the conflict and to understand that there is really no conflict at all because Mm -hmm. they have the same mutual need to have a good evening together. And once they have reframed that conflict into a mutually unmet need, they are able to work together to solve the problem. And I think the important point here is that the solution is unimportant. It doesn't matter what they come up with. What is important is the working together. 
What is important is the recognition of the mutually unmet need. And one of the ways in which you are able to break cycles of violence, on whatever scale, schoolyard, kids constantly fighting with each other, inter-ethnic violence that goes on for generations, the way in which you break cycles of violence is to let each side see each other as real human beings with their own pain and to recognize that they have a mutually unmet need for peace that they need to work together to resolve. How important is honesty? Because it seems there's something um, you said, and I know it's important, but just we have this tendency in a punitive culture to evade. Or um, just there, there, there seems to be, and, and again, I can't help, and I'll just let it flow there, is um, there have been a lot of discussions among us privately and even on this show a little bit um, about how uncomfortable many of us are feeling right now in this whole election situation without getting into it in too many details, but just why can't we just all be honest together, you know, as opposed to feeling like, you know, to be a part of the process, you have to reverse what you might have thought. You know, just, just an honest, mm-hmm. this is where we're at. And and I think that we're feeling, all of us, all of us, Steve, are feeling unmet needs. And, and we're not feeling like we're able to talk at all, even among our closest friends. I, I've gotten to the point of not sharing on Facebook about it because I feel like I can't honestly share. They're, you know... Um, it it just it's become a very challenging thing, and I think that a lot of us, you know, even people who share similar. I mean, and this isn't even talking about you know if you're across even greater divides that that maybe aren't divides exactly. If we could even talk about, um, I don't want to get too long-winded here, but in a way, Michael Moore talked about unmet needs in his video, how he was seeing you know, why people are feeling certain ways. And I thought, boy, you know, and, and I think today he's worried it's, it's having an, another effect he didn't expect or whatever. But, boy, just getting that out was was kind of interesting. You know, is that how do, we, how do we find our way to honesty? Well, let's ask ourselves, why are we afraid to speak honestly from our hearts? What are we afraid of? And I think we tend not to tell people what we feel or what we believe um, or what we need because we are afraid that we will be considered wrong or bad or crazy for wanting or needing or feeling a particular way. And... So we hold that back because we are afraid. But it seems to me that there is a skill you can learn in circle where you don't have to be afraid because people are listening devoutly with their hearts. Yes. And you are able to say things you couldn't say before. You are able to say, I feel, I need, I regret I fear, 
I want. And notice that the pronoun I is the pronoun you're using because only you know what is truly in your heart. So that generally speaking, when you're sitting in circle, you don't begin sentences with you. You are wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. But we start sentences with I. I am afraid. I need. I regret. And in the sacred space and time of counsel, you are able to give up your need to be right. You're able to give up your ego and speak honestly from your heart. Yes. Yes. I and I do I do feel that we don't feel safe. We we feel somehow that um you know, we'll we'll be we will we'll be ostracized or 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 maybe we even, you know, care about friends and we don't want to get into disagreements or family members or whatever. But but ultimately, I think it is um, if we could just be honest together, um, and and if we could get to the bottom of it, you know, I think we would find that there really are honest unmet needs at the center of all of it, and that's the way it is. I mean, that's that's what you really teach us to find. And I I have to say something about your book that. I certainly want to spend more time with, and I I think others will feel this too, is I found myself reflecting back to situations that were totally dysfunctional and maybe didn't end well, but didn't end well, or, you know, things going on now, and you're thinking, gosh, you know, it, 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 it becomes surfaced as to how we're not even talking about the unmet needs at all and we never did or we were punitive or you know it could be years ago and suddenly you have a new understanding I think we can look back and see situations where you know we we were punitive we were hierarchical we wanted to show that we were smarter or better or more moral than other people, that we were righter than other people. And I think those should be motivating. I think we have, you know, you you, you have to be gentle with yourself too. Yeah, yeah. You have yeah. to, you can have, you can pass your talkings to your own best self. Mm-hmm. And listen devoutly to what your own best self has to say. And you can speak honestly to your own best self. You can say to your own best self, I, I need, I feel, I regret, I fear. And then hand your talking stick to your own best self and listen devoutly. Go out into the woods Find a big old grandfather tree and hold your talking stick and open your heart 
to this tree and then hand your talking stick to the tree and listen to what the tree has to say to you. Listen devoutly with your heart and that tree will talk to you. Big old grandfather rock covered with moss. The animal spirits of a particular place. The plants and trees of a particular place. Stars and thunder. Hand your talking stick to them. Hand your talking stick to the spirits. And open your heart and listen to what they have to say. And and what is, say, religious contemplation other than handing your talking stick to God and listening devoutly with your heart? To what you hear in reply. So, it seems to me that um, we are able to address all of those things. We're able to look back in our past and, and see the places where we have been hierarchical and punitive and transactional rather than, than egalitarian and liberating. And we can dream of a community where people relate to each other all the time as if they were all carrying invisible talking sticks around with them. I, I love how um, you, you invite us to compassion, like you, to gentleness, because... And and how you know how can we take? In fact, it's so true not only with ourselves but with others. It's just okay. Here's where we were, but where are we going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think one of the pro- yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, it is good. I'm 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 done. Go ahead. Um, one of the problems with living in a a hierarchical, punitive, and transactional culture is that we are obsessed with the past. We are obsessed with apportioning blame. And so we spend a lot of effort trying to figure out who did what to who and in what sequence so that we can punish the person we hold to be blameworthy. And we think that we can somehow punctuate long-term interactions and come up with the bad guy. And in this Manichaean universe, we see there are bad guys and good guys. And we don't understand the bad guys. All we can do is punish them. But in the community of our best imagination, we wouldn't be doing that. We would be deepening relationships. We would be working toward mutually unmet needs. For example, if somebody who has harmed somebody else the unmet need to restore dignity and self-respect, to set things right, to make amends, to get back into right relationship with the person and the community, and, and the need of somebody who has been harmed to restore dignity and self-respect, to be listened to, to be accepted by the community as having been harmed, as needing things to be set right. These are all mutually unmet needs that need to be worked through in sacred space and sacred time to restore the integrity of the community. 
You know, I was reflecting earlier in the week before even encountering this book about um, just to tell you something about me. I grew up very conservatively. I, I was raised an evangelical, and I'm the granddaughter of an evangelical minister, although I didn't really know him, but his influence was in our family. And there's this notion in that community of left behind, left behind. You're going to be left behind. They're going to be left behind. They're not the, you're, you know, somebody's always going to be left behind. And I see this in other communities now, too, you know, where there will be others, you know, these people aren't going to ascend. They're, they're going to be left behind, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same thing. And in our relationships so often, you know, the best relationships I've ever had, you know, you're, you're, you have some kind of, it, you know, you encountered maybe that person, and it's like it's healed somehow. You know, you're not thinking about all the things that were not good or whatever. It's just okay it's the way it is. There's none of this left behind. And what you talk about, this reintegration, if I'm using the right term, if I listened correctly, close enough, I suppose, is it's very different than this notion of always having to leave people behind who don't fit. And that's a real disconnect in our culture right now because so many of us are being taught all of those people are going to be, I mean, in the worst possible way. I mean, if you get into things like hell, I mean, that's pretty pretty bad. And and that's what, we don't even have to get into theology, just that notion of they're going to, you know, ostracizing totally and God ostracizing. So it's very close to the end of the show, but I'm going to let you flow with that for a minute because it just touched me deeply and viscerally how we have to get past this. Well, one of of the exercises that I do in workshops and seminars is for people to think about the worst harm they have ever suffered at the hands of another person and to think about their feelings and needs when it happened and now. And this can be very painful because some people have been grievously harmed by other people. And we reflect on that for a while. But then I ask people, now I want you to reflect on the worst harm you have ever done to somebody else. And again, this is painful. But I ask people to reflect on what their feelings and needs were at the time they did this, and now looking back on it, what their feelings and needs are. And the purpose of this exercise, painful though it is, is to understand that there are no good guys and bad guys. We all harm each other, but when we do, When we have been harmed and when we have harmed others, we have mutually unmet needs to make it right, to somehow rebuild the trust that has been shattered by this harm that has been done. So if you reflect on the harms that you have done to others, you can see that what you need is somehow to be reintegrated into a community, to, to be 
accepted again with, with all of your flaws and be given an opportunity to make things right, whatever that may be, whether it's an apology or fixing what was broken or doing whatever the person you harmed needs done to rebuild this relationship and to reintegrate into the greater community. And I think that is a, a key part of what peacemaking is. If you want to be a peacemaker, and you don't have to be, being a peacemaker is hard. Yeah. Being a peacemaker is challenging. Being a peacemaker means being a clown for peace. But if you want to be a peacemaker, then you have to search for these mutually unmet needs and try to figure out in sacred time and sacred space, passing the talking stick around the circle, how to make things right and how to rebuild a broken community. Wow, you summed it up beautifully, I feel. We're we're coming very close to the end of the live show here and it doesn't cut us off drastically, but those who are listening live, um, um you know, they, they would have to listen in the archive. But um I I just I just wanna say thank you. Now I feel speechless because you just said it so well. You 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 really I, I have to say we can feel our unmet needs through your words, Steve. It's like there's this yearning of yes, 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 as I hear you speak, and, and you can feel it, and you feel where there's this shattering, and you feel where there's this potential to bring it back together. Whatever way, that doesn't mean respect, but but recreating community, I think it's just, I'm beyond words in my thankfulness for what what you're doing, and I feel it in a very personal way, and I hope the listeners are feeling this too. And we'll explore your book, Talking Stick. I've got a link to the book, and I don't know if there's another place where they can maybe find you. If there is a particular place, um, please, please let us know. Um. I guess um, not really. <laughs> okay, that's all right. You're sort of everywhere when I looked for you, but we have a link to your book, and that's a good place. All right. <laughs> and and if anybody wants to get in touch with me, they can they can uh, drop an email or a note to the publisher, and they'll pass it along to me, and I'll be happy to receive anything anybody wants to send. Yeah. Um, and thank you. This was this was a wonderful conversation. I I really enjoyed being on your show. Thank you so much. Oh, well, I I appreciate it and and truthfully from my heart, I I felt it too and I'm I'm just I really appreciated this talk too. So so thanks for all you're doing, Steve, and I'm really glad to discover you. I'll be I'll be following your work and in a in a non hierarchical way. <laughs> I would I, I hope to, to to talk with you again. So Yes, um, I would any time. Just let me know. I would be happy to talk okay. with you. All right. Well wonderful and, and so so thank you again and, and and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. So you too. Thank care. you.
All right. Um, just a note, and I'll put a I'll put a link to make sure. But his publisher is Inner Traditions. They're so amazing, the people there, and and I'll I'll make sure there's a way you know how to reach Steve. And there is a link to his book, Talking Stick Peace Peacemaking. I'm losing my ability to speak. It's just touching me so deeply that this is a really transformative. He uses that word in the book often transformative transformational and you feel it with this work it works very deeply i highly recommend you get talking stick peacemaking as a spiritual path and let it do some work with you if you choose you know if this is what you choose to be because i it it really is a powerful piece of work and i will note just doing some due diligence here the next show we may add some others we'll see i'm trying not to make it too much of a uh, too busy of a schedule but but right now the next show on the schedule is jody hershey the call of the day and that's a book that jody wrote we're going to talk about on wednesday november 2nd at 12 p.m. pacific just keep an eye on frontierbeyondfear.com this show will be highlighted there and will always be accessible in the archive, and the various links are there for you. And the entire archive, we're now in our seventh year, having this being our anniversary week all together. I view it in our, it's a mutual community here, all the guests, the listeners, and a thank you from my heart. So with that said, if you are listening close to the weekend here, we're in the archive now, I hope that wherever this show finds you, Listen to Steve. Go out into nature. I know I intend to do that soon. I'm here in this beautiful Pacific Northwest, and I feel it all the time. And I invite you, wherever you are, to do the same. Take care, everyone.